so Peter Bogosian uh, raised the question, do universities have the flu? Do they have cancer? Or do they have rabies? I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, what happens when words like truth and reconciliation don't mean what they appear to mean? What happens, for example, when the president of the Memorial University of Newfoundland and Labrador uh, is turfed uh, in the middle of her seeking shade with a temporary leave of absence because uh, she has issued an apology uh, for pretending to have Micmac heritage. Why is this happening? Why are presidents of universities pretending to have Indigenous heritage? Is there some special status conferred upon them? Does it create a special class, a special privilege? Well, today we have on the program uh, a woman, an academic, who has experienced this from the other end of the spectrum. She's a woman who has tried very hard over many years to maintain the integrity of academia, to seek truth, uh, and to teach the truth to her students about what's really going on in this country in terms of the relationship between Indigenous peoples, our government, and the way their histories and politics are being taught in our universities. And her name is Frances Whittison. Thanks very much for being our special guest today, Frances. Thanks for having me on. Okay, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Before we dive into it and talk about uh, some of your books and your incredible story, uh, as we always do, we're going to frame our discussion with a few aphorisms. Uh, the first of which is from someone uh, you know about, and that's Justice Murray Sinclair, uh, the person who presided over the uh, the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, he was quoted as saying, while Indigenous children were being mistreated in residential schools by being told they were heathens, savages, and pagans, and inferior people, that same message was being delivered in the public schools of this country. That was in an interview he gave to the CBC. The next uh, quotation is uh, from uh, an American person of some renowned Booker T. Washington, who uh, presents a bit, a bit of a different side of the case. He uh, once wrote that there is another class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, and the hardships of the Negro race before the public. Having learned that they are able to make a living out of their troubles, they have grown into the settled habit of advertising their wrongs, partly because they want sympathy and partly because it pays. Some of these people do not want the Negro to lose his grievances because they do not want to lose their jobs. So let's dive right into it. Uh, you're going along fine, very successful, esteemed career in academia. You're a published author. And then uh, in uh, the, the Mount Royal University comes along and according to an article from the CBC, and I apologize for quoting them here, uh, MRU fires professor who espoused benefits of residential schools and criticized the BLM movement. How did this, how did this firing come about? Yeah, so this is a bit of a complicated story. 
And there's bits and pieces in all sorts of articles that, um, you know, sort of emphasize certain things and don't talk about other things. But um, just so people know, if they're interested in my case, uh, there's a website, www.wokeacademy.info. And as well, I outline my case in a very specific way in a Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship newsletter article in September 2022, where I outlined like basically why I was fired. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a big backstory that resulted in the kind of conditions which made that possible, which had been going on, uh, I believe, since about 2016. So in 2016, that's when we started to indigenize the university and that put a target on me as someone who was not um, part of the whole you belong here brand of Mount Royal University and started to create a lot of animosity from a whole bunch of different quarters. It really started to ramp up in 2020 with the killing of George Floyd. And then that's when, uh, although that didn't have very much applicability to Canada uh, because of the difference in racial politics, it was sort of seized upon by a group of activists to make demands to bring in mandatory anti-racism training and um, also uh, a whole bunch of resources being diverted to kind of anti-racism and, you know, advocacy studies like black studies types of programs. This resulted because my colleague Sinclair McRae, who is a very, very thoughtful philosopher, had written a long letter criticizing what was happening, especially with the Faculty Association, which was taking a political position on this and making all sorts of untrue claims on behalf of the membership. And he was completely ignored in his attempt to bring a you know, bring attention to this danger. That resulted in me beginning a satirical, starting a satirical approach on social media because Toby Young, the head of the Free Speech Union, said at one point, I remember listening to him, look, the you know, people who are what's now called woke, this is like the term wokeism, which is when identity politics becomes totalitarian in nature. That's that's basically how it is. And this whole postmodernist kind of thing in the academy whereby uh, subjectivity becomes prized over the objective search for truth and the attack on the enlightenment, you cannot reason with people who reject reason and evidence right. and logic. So the best thing you can do is sort of, you know, kind of get in there with humor and uh, kind of poke fun of that a little bit. So I started to do this satirical approach, um, which resulted in one satirical letter that was saying that, um, George Orwell had come to me in a dream and told me that intersectional theory was the right way and we should have an oppression point system to evaluate faculty. So you got one point if you're white or one point if you're male and so on. That made people very angry. And then um, I defended Wendy Mesley, the journalist. Uh, right, CBC. CBC mm -hmm. For... Um, um, you know, referring to a, a book title, uh, which has a racial slur in it. And uh, 
It was a very uh, rhetorical device used by Pierre Valier. I defended Wendy Mesley and referred to the book title. And that resulted in an Indigenous scholar activist going after me and uh, mobilizing a, an anonymous student group against me. And then I started to, to satirize her attempts to get me fired. And because she was Indigenous, she was a prize that the university wanted to have there. And when I started to satirize her efforts, she did this turn where she pretended that I was the one attacking her when she had actually attacked me. And that resulted in the beginnings of a whole bunch of harassment complaints being made against me. Was that the basis for your firing though? Obviously you're a very distinguished scholar. You're published, your, your book is, is, is nominated for the Donner Prize. Going along, obviously, no issues with your teaching or anything of that nature no. was the sole no. basis for your yes. firing your politics. It was the social media, uh, satirical what I called satirical warfare, uh, uh, which was seen as being harassing, discriminatory. Mm. Which I don't even know how I like since I have no power over anyone, how am I discriminating against people? And finally, a toxic workplace. They claimed I created a toxic workplace through my satire. Ah, and see. then when I was, because I, I was given the impression over a number of years that social media was not a workplace issue because I'd been defamed by a whole bunch of colleagues for a number of years. I'd been alerting to Mount Royal about, I'd been alerting them about this uh, for four years. They'd done nothing about it. They didn't seem to care. Uh, so I thought, it's not, they don't see uh, uh, social media's workplace issue. When I was got, had these two findings of harassment found against me for social media activities, I said, okay, if you're going to do that, this standard should be applied to everyone at Mount Royal. And I filed uh, 17 harassment complaints against my colleagues for their social media activities to do with this mob. Then when one person, and I can talk about her because she's left Mount Royal, her name is Renee Watchman. She's an indigenous scholar activist. When, cause I uh, filed a complaint against her. When she received the complaint, uh, she filed immediately filed a complaint against me. And I was investigated for that complaint. And then that was a completely ridiculous complaint with 15 counts of things like I didn't capitalize I in Indigenous, and I referred to diversity, inclusion, and equity as die. Um, <laughs> and the satirical letter was was found to be harassing. Like the other ones weren't found to be harassing, but that gave the pretext for this investigator to go through my entire social media activity. And then he found a bunch of tweets that he thought were um, demeaning the viewpoint of my colleagues, right? But if we're going to be saying demeaning the viewpoint of colleagues is a, you know, harassment, then every single uh, professor who's criticizing their colleagues, so this is obviously not going to be um, uh, acceptable. And then, so I found to be harassment of Brene Watchman. And then I filed an 18th complaint against someone who was like continually agitating against me. And that complaint was found to be frivolous and vexatious. There was another issue with trans activists I read about uh, when I was researching you, uh, Francis. Uh, mm -hmm. There were some trans activists who were seeking to forestall any criticism of trans activism. And you attempted to stage an event at MRU with Megan yep. Murphy on the topic, does trans activism 
negatively impact women's rights. That seems to be that. I mean, the question answers itself mm-hmm. uh, if, if for anybody who's paying attention. Um, but it, but uh, in in the sort of febrile world of woke, um, you know, you're responsible for how people feel about what you say, right? So is it yeah. was that how you got sort of pulled into the vortex of uh, transgenderism and speaking out yes. about it? Yeah, so um, what I was trying to do starting in 2016, or maybe even earlier, is just have discussions amongst uh, faculty members with different viewpoints so that we could kind of understand one another and look at the evidence. And this was resisted at every turn by the woke faction, and they becoming stronger and stronger and stronger, enabled by the administration, until we actually had, you know, the end game, which was removal, my removal from Mount Royal University in December 2021. But I have been recording everything since 2019. So I have a huge database of what's gone on. Everything can be opened up as far as I'm concerned. The whole thing can be looked at and people can judge me in terms of my actions. I'm not afraid of anything. And we can see how a university went from a wonderful institution with great people, Manuel Merton, Robin Fisher, who knew what an academic institution should be like, to the terrible destruction that has unfolded since 2016 because of these activists gaining hold of the machinery and being enabled by administrators who are more concerned with uh, protecting their a woke brand than they are with you know re- maintaining the academic integrity of the institution. So this is uh, this is something that obviously you are bringing a great deal of awareness to, and uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson as well as uh, is, is somebody who's been very outspoken about this. He resigned his position at the University of Toronto because he couldn't even in good conscience uh, bring on students and try to promote them into an institution which is he considers totally corrupt, corrupted by this this woke ideology. Um, Perhaps going back to first principles, Francis, perhaps you could describe and explain uh, what is woke? What does that mean? I mean, to some people, it's uh, political correctness. You gave a very succinct uh, definition uh, to it a moment ago, but it seems to have transcended into something more and almost a a virulent secular religion that cannot be questioned. It's impervious to to any sort of scrutiny. And those who subscribe to it, um, you know, they they will attack. They will attack anyone who dares question it, as though it is it, it's a sacred it's a sacred uh, cow. So what is what is this wokeness, and why has it become so entrenched in our institutions, especially the university? Okay, so this is my manuscript, the Woke oh, Academy. Um, so I'm. This is my area of expertise now. So this is what I'm going to be doing for the next several years: is trying to articulate and analyze what's happened to universities and how most universities. There might be the odd one that's not contaminated. So you have two things. One is postmodernism. The other is identity politics. Uh, wokeism is when identity politics becomes totalitarian. And I have used myself the, the, the uh, description 
uh, politically correct totalitarianism. And this was uh, Jordan Peterson, just bringing him back into it. He did some research, his, his psychology uh, grad students did some research on this um, before he left. Um, and he called it politically correct authoritarianism. Um, so uh, I like the word totalitarianism because totalitarianism is actually trying to reshape people's thoughts. And mm -hmm. wokeism definitely is trying to do that. They're they're trying to make they're trying to change words so that you can't think properly anymore and so on. So it's got a serious totalitarian uh, character to it. Um, so, um, but you have people who are politically correct, but they're not totalitarian. They're liberals, but they just have sympathy for the oppressed and they allow the totalitarians to seize hold of the institution. So they, they're kind of drawn into it. So there's, a, there's those kinds of facets. So that is the, the wokeism is um, identity politics that's become totalitarian, politically correct, the stuff that's become totalitarian. Um, that's kind of one side of the, the picture. That's really wokeism. But the thing that's allowed wokeism to take root is postmodernism which mm -hmm. is something that emerged in the 1960s, which was an attack on the enlightenment. So the enlightenment is, is a, is a sort of a, a kind of a development that happened in human history, whereby the individual kind of emerged and you were seen as a, an autonomous being who could uh, use reason, evidence, and logic to figure things out. You didn't have to rely on tradition which was, you know, so the aristocracy is mm -hmm. kind of part of the system. You didn't have to rely on religion uh, and sort of dogma to, to sort of tell you the way that you think you, you were able to figure things out as an individual and in your interactions with other individuals. That was under attack in the 60s. And because of that, people's acceptance of that, or, or like at least giving it its, its, its due, which it, it should have been just beaten back, um, this allowed these what's called advocacy studies programs to gain traction in the late 60s and the 70s. And it started off with black studies right. uh, and it also had women's studies. And then we got queer studies and disability studies and indigenous studies, which are not academic programs. They are activist uh, elements, but they pretend to be academic and they they and they have postmodernism is is sort of the justification of that right. so postmodernism did is it it took away our ability to fight against the activism that was starting to take hold in the in the universities and and that activism has been gradually increasing its power and then starting in around 2000 late 2000s it took over the machinery of the of the universities so we have diversity offices indigenous centers women's you know things pride centers all, all these kinds of administrative elements now control mm -hmm. huge areas of the university and the harassment kinds of investigations are are, are tied up with with these these kinds of takeover of the machinery mm -hmm. Now we have human resources that is trying to make sure that you don't say anything that upsets these protected groups, along with these diversity offices, which are just putting out propaganda on a daily basis and have also taken over the hiring processes. So 
most people are just shaking their heads because they 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 don't even know how to start thinking about this but this has been in motion for many many years and i was an observer of it uh for quite a long time so um there's a huge kind of uh, backstory that we're just starting to have a reckoning uh, with now so the university francis is is uh is intended to be was created to be a place where there would be a free exchange of ideas and where especially young people would be exposed to new ideas because you know they come from everywhere different neighborhoods different countries different parts of the world different religions cultures and so and so on the idea is to bring them into a place where they can be exposed to things that they don't know uh, to, to challenge their preconceived ideas with a sort of yeah. uh, long-standing idea that, you know, learning in all disciplines is this conversation across time where we, yeah. we, we discover the best ideas by, by speaking them, them freely. And of course, the university now, uh, as you put it, has been captured by this mm. uh, woke ideology, this woke religion or cult, whatever you want to call it, that suppresses that conversation that censors and bullies and will use violence. So mm -hmm. my question for you is, um, is there a way forward? Is, is, is there a way to, to, to battle with the, the, this, this, the people who have captured these universities and get these places back and, and, you know, get rid of the safe spaces and actually make universities a safe place to talk about ideas? Yes. Well, we're going to find out. Uh, so I have some plans myself, uh, which I think is the best. Some people, uh, Peter Bogosian and Jordan Peterson, I guess. Uh, so Peter Bogosian uh, raised the question, do universities have the flu? Do they have cancer or do they have rabies? This is the question. So the flu is, is this kind of a passing phase? And some people think that it's just, you know, wokeism is the latest, you know, flavor of the mo month. And then, you know, a year from now, it's just, it will be going, what happened there? Uh, and then the, the cancer is like, you need serious treatment here. You need chemo. <laughs> you, need, you need to go in there. And, Patient you know, is dying, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, the, you, know, you gotta, you gotta have serious, uh, you know, scorched earth kind of thing to get things back on track. Mm -hmm. And then the, the rabies is, is that, you know, you, you, your, you know, your dog is no longer your dog anymore and it can't be saved. It just needs to be shot. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think the flu thing is valid at all. The, for the, the most kind of significant problem is that the woke have taken over the hiring. In uh, universe. Yeah. So this is a big problem. So mm -hmm. this happened mm -hmm. at Mount Royal. So the woke got in there and they've hired huge numbers of like-minded people yeah, uh, to these accolades. positions. Right. So now you're going to have a real hard time in any kind of academic collegial setting. Uh, so that might be the, the rabies kind of argument, but I am, I am go back and forth between rabies and cancer. And I, right now I'm operating as if the university has cancer. Right. Uh, so cancer is uh, organization. I think is the only way you're going to fight this. Some people have given up. Like that, that's why Jordan Peterson left is because right. he's given up and he's saying, right. no, these institutions don't work anymore. We need to start new institutions. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's not your, that is not your view. Well, I, I, 
<laughs> right now, uh, well, my own view is is it's possible that's the case. But um, as I said to other people, uh, uh, Jim McMurtry, who's a, a teacher who just got fired, and is that um, we should see ourselves, our role as um, trying to restore the institutions to their academic character. Right. That's what our new career is going to be. And if we are unsuccessful, we can still contribute by showing future generations where things went wrong. So documenting mm. the decline right. and the destruction. And the big thing here is um, universities should not be making political statements. And there's a report mm. in the United States called the Kelvin Report that that makes a very good case for why this shouldn't happen because what you do if you have the university making a political statement is you give a signal to all the academics that this is um, a, um you know kind of um mouthing this is right. the way to your advancement in the institution and so you give subtle kind of encouragement for a particular position and that then undermines the academic kind of uh kind of way in which academics mm -hmm. can, can can discuss things you give uh you give kind of backing to one faction over another and 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 that's that's what happened with indigenization and i knew i wrote about this. i was sounding the alarm about this right from the beginning i, mm -hmm. I said this is not a good idea like i will fight this to the end so you know mount royal who thinks they're going to wear me down through their delayed tactics and you know stretching it out for as long as they can and that will not work uh there will be no plea bargain i my whole new career is going to be you know sort of examining the nature of universities and how they have been destroyed right and without royal being exhibit a there are all these cases which you know no one even knows about because they get put into these secretive procedures mm -hmm. and then someone gets bought out usually you get bought out in the end and so there's never a decision gets bought out even before it gets to you know gets a decision from arbitration right. so no one even finds out about what's happening but uh mm -hmm. we have well, serious you know, yeah serious well god god bless before. you for your for your courage for and for the fight <laughs> that you're fighting because i know that you're doing it uh not just on your own behalf you're doing it on behalf of truth and because it's so obviously, obviously, you, you really care about the university system and restoring it to, to dignity. Uh, this yes. is the part of our program, Francis, where we turn to something called the reading list. You'll appreciate this as a professor. Uh, mm. And your books are featured. Uh, I want to tell people about Indigenizing the University. This is a book that you published a couple of years ago. You've talked about it a little bit. And so I've really enjoyed this time with you. I want to thank you very much for being our special guest today on Gray Matter. And I want to wish, wish you much uh, success in your fight, especially with your arbitration. I hope that you'll come back and talk to us mm -hmm. again uh, when you get a, a decision. I'd like to hear more about that. But thank you very much for being our special guest today on Gray Matter. Thank you very much. 